Hi, my name is Dave Stitt and a very warm welcome to my Coaching Conversations podcast. In this series, I'm talking with senior people from industry, academia and the world of politics about them and their experience of coaching. My aim is to raise awareness of what coaching is and isn't, so as a practice it becomes more widely used in the construction industry, making things better for construction people. I hope you enjoy listening and find these recordings useful. Today I'm talking with Bill Detmeyer. Uh, it's a great pleasure to have Bill on the line with me. Uh, Bill's the author of uh, several books, Systems Thinking and Other Dangerous Habits and the Logical Thinking Process. Um, so, so Bill, r- r- rather, than, rather than me try and introduce you and get it all wrong, how about you just tell us a bit about yourself? That would work. Uh, let me see. Well, the first thing I should tell you is that I officially qualify as an old fart right now. Right. I'm seven, 78 years old, but there was a time when I was 21. And uh, in those days, uh, I was in college in the United States on the East Coast, Rutgers University. And uh, as I was going through my university training I, or education, I I was having a difficult time deciding what I wanted to be when I grew up. Uh, Fortunately or unfortunately, as the case may be, the U.S. was uh, knee-deep in the Vietnam War at the time. And uh, if I had not been involved with the Air Force Reserve Officer Training Corps at college, I would have probably been drafted and sent to Vietnam. But because I got a commission on graduation, in the United States Air Force, uh, I had the opportunity to go to navigator training and uh, be trained as a navigator and flew in B-52s for about five years as a navigator. Uh, During that time, uh, I was able to qualify to go to pilot training. So after five years, the Air Force sent me to pilot training. And uh, once I completed that, I went back and flew B-52s as a pilot. And did that for quite a number of years before I got to the point in my uh, career and my age where they said, the only thing we're going to let you do fly now is a desk. And uh, so I concluded my career in 1987 uh, uh, or early 88, I should say, uh, included my Air Force career and moved on. Uh, I think it's worth noting that when I... Uh, submitted my uh, retirement papers from the Air Force. My boss called me into his office and he was in in high dudgeon about my retirement. And he says, why are you retiring? And I said, well, as the Tomcat said, when he finished making love to the skunk, I've had about all the enjoyment I can stand. And he had nothing to say to that. So (laughs) our our meeting ended at that point. I subsequently uh, was then faced with the same question that I had uh, procrastinated on for 23 years, which was, what do you want to be when you grow up? Except at this point now, I was 44 years old. Right. Uh, I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, so I was able to postpone that a bit. When I was uh, recruited by my one of my professors in my 
systems management master's program courses, uh, who asked me to come on board with the university as an uh, adjunct uh, instructor to uh, teach the same courses that I had taken for my master's degree, some of them, uh, to newer students. And uh, that seemed like a pretty good thing to do since I didn't have any other uh, any other prospects at the moment and couldn't figure out what I wanted to be yet. So for that turned out for another seven years, I ended up doing that. But during that period of time of seven years, uh, I discovered that uh, it's an entirely different prospect uh, moving from the student side of the lectern to the professor side of the lectern. Uh, you have to be more than one question deep in the material. And uh, so it forced me to do a lot of research in areas other than what the direct course was about. Uh, during that period of time, I stumbled across a, uh, a new methodology called the Theory of Constraints by Eliyahu Goldratt. And I ended up going to the Goldratt Institute basically to learn how to apply constraint theory to production operations. And that's what I thought I was going to be learning when I got to the Goldratt Institute in New Haven, Connecticut in early 1993. Lo and behold, however, when I got there, I discovered that that wasn't the content of the course that I had signed up for anymore. The uh, content instead was this new concept called the logical thinking process. And I kind of scratched my head a little bit and I said, all right, well, let's see how this goes. Well, it was 10 days of very intensive, uh, and I would have to say not entirely well-organized work. Uh, but at the end of that 10-day period, I came to the realization that what I had been exposed to was a tool or a set of tools that were far more broadly applicable and had much more potential than uh, just the TOC approach to production management. Uh, in other words, I realized immediately from the basis of my uh, systems management uh, studies and teaching that this was probably the most important system tool that I had ever run into at that point. So I chose to specialize in that as I developed my skills in that I continued teaching for the University of Southern California. Uh, eventually, the University of Southern California, uh, in its infinite wisdom, decided to cancel the program that I was teaching for. Uh, they claimed to be system thinkers, but they claimed, but they canceled the only interdisciplinary systems thinking master's program that they had. And I never figured out why. Suffice it to say that uh, by this time, uh, I was starting to uh, get interest from a lot of people uh, in my writings on the logical thinking process. And so for the next, uh, from 1996 until today, uh, which is basically 
about, uh, let's see, 10, 20, 26 years. Uh, I have been doing that almost exclusively in the consulting world with clients that have, that range from uh, Deloitte and Touche to Matsu uh, to uh, Raytheon Corporation to uh, Osram uh, Corporation in uh, Germany, uh, uh, just all kinds of high visibility companies. And uh, they have all been interested in what the logical thinking process can do to help them make sense of complex system problems that they face. And so that's what they basically hire me to come in and do. I've written a couple of more books, and uh, you mentioned one of them, Systems Thinking and Other Dangerous Habits which is the most recent book that I published about two years ago. And uh, that book, in essence, encapsulates all of my knowledge that I had uh, that I had gathered over the years in systems management and systems thinking pursuant to the master's program that I had taught in. Uh, I decided that... Uh, uh, I have fewer years in front of me than I've got behind me by a long shot. And uh, since the university had canceled that program that I was in, there was no other formal access for people to get to uh, studies on systems thinking. There were isolated books here and there, like Peter Senge's uh, Fifth Discipline yeah. and uh, Russell Ackoff's writings on systems. And these are great authors. But uh, they are very, uh, I'm going to say they're very focused on certain aspects of systems thinking and not broadly applicable. So I decided I would data dump everything that I had in my head uh, and that I could research uh, on systems thinking into this book. It is not intended to make anybody an expert in everything. But what it's intended to do is introduce people to as many different systems concepts as possible. And it has it is just chock full of end notes and biblio bibliographic notes that will send people to uh, sources where they can get much more detail if they find that they're interested in some of these systems concepts. Yeah. So that's basically uh, the reason I call it uh, systems thinking and other dangerous habits is that um, it's a little bit like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Once you eat from the uh, truth, the uh, tree of uh, knowledge, uh, you begin to see the world as it really is rather than the way it appears. Yeah. And uh, sometimes that leads to what I refer to as a revolution of rising expectations in people. What does that mean? It means basically they're not satisfied with the way things are run these days uh, based on traditional thinking. They want to see improvements based on systems concepts, which most organizations are reluctant to embrace. Yes. Now, what does this mean? 
This means that at some point people get dissatisfied with the work they're doing because they see that they're being asked to do stuff that's irrelevant to the overall goal of the organization. And so what they end up doing is they end up leaving their places of employment and going on to places that are a little bit more open-minded and forward-thinking. Some people uh, end up pushing in the organization. uh, They end up pushing systems principles to the point that they become persona non grata uh, within the organization. In other words, they wear out their welcome. So this is why uh, I could say that the use of systems thinking can be a dangerous habit for some people in certain organizations. And that basically brings us to where we are right now. I hope I haven't rambled on too long on that. Perfect, Bill. That's a great introduction and also an introduction into how come, you know, we're here talking, you and I. One of my... I run a mastermind program and one of the uh, for senior guys and one of the guys said, uh, Dave, you've got to read this book. And and he held the book up on the screen and it was uh, yeah. Systems Thinking and Other Dangerous Habits by, Bill, <laughs> by, by William Detmer. And I thought, whoa, that sounds great. So uh, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of like a sponge for, for learning. So I, I ordered the book off Amazon. It came the next day. Wow. And then I read it. It's a thick mm-hmm. book. And yes, I was totally is. engrossed in it. And it's it's as you as you say, it's kind of a tour of all it the is. Of, 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 of the system thinking methodologies, mm-hmm. which I found really fa- fabulous and, and, and fascinating. And and in keeping Bill with what <clears throat> with what a lot of authors do these days, you included your email address in there. Mm. So I very hastily wrote a five-star review on Amazon, sent you an email saying, hey, Bill, I've just given you a five-star review. Can we have a chat? And we had a chat. <laughs> yes, we did. And 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 here we are. And, uh, and Bill, you, 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 you very kindly read uh, my latest book, which is Coach for Results. And, and Bill, ne- never mind my book. I, I, just reading your review, there's like a whole education in your review, never mind my book. <laughs> and so, um, so, so, Bill, so some of the people who will be listening to us will be familiar with systems thinking, and some won't, because I mm-hmm. do a lot of work with young, particularly yep. construction professionals, mm-hmm. who are learning their technical trade, uh, and they're also uh, dipping their toe into the management. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, tier, mm-hmm. and so, um, Bill, if you if you can indulge me, I'd just like to read one or two sure. pieces from 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 your review of my book, and and so you, you in the first sentence you mention um, Peter Principle, uh, and, and why that resonates with so many people is that in more cases than not the best technician in a department is usually selected to run the department. And what's lost in this practice is the fact that technical expertise is a completely different skill set than leading people. Wow, how fantastic is that? How true is that? And so, so Bill, 
my understanding of the Peter principle is that one reaches one's highest level of incompetence in an organization. Um, uh, that's 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 very close. Uh, so point... speak speak to Peter's principle and speak okay. to how the the, techni- the the best technician gets promoted to management and how that doesn't always work. Tell me about that. <laughs> okay. Well, the first thing I need to do is is point with pride at the fact that Lawrence J. Peter, uh, who created the Peter Principle, was a professor at the University of Southern California, where I got my master's degree and where I taught for seven years. However, he predated me and he was retired long before I got there to, to uh, take my master's degree. But I'm proud to say that he's uh, was a part of the same institution. Peter's principle basically says that an individuals get promoted to their level of incompetence. In other words, they do really well at level one and really well at level two and really well at level three. And then they get promoted to level four and they get promoted when they get to level four, they're out of their depth and they crash. Right. And so then what usually happens is they're either relieved and, and, part the organization or they end up reverting back to the last level of their competence which would have been in that case example it would have been a le- level three uh and that was a very uh a very interesting uh concept and i as i looked back on my experience in management and leadership i saw that to be absolutely true uh, the Air Force, for me, for 23 years, was a wonderful learning laboratory for leadership. The military in general emphasizes the fact, emphasizes the fact that you manage things, but mm. you lead people. Mm. And ultimately, the military is the, the, the epitome of a leadership environment because it's the people who execute the mission, sometimes at the expense of their lives. Yes. So if you're going to call upon people to go out and risk and sometimes lose their lives, uh, you better be a good leader of these people to inspire them and to do all of the things that are human in nature and not technical. Uh, it's the, an example of the Peter principle as applied to the air force would be somebody who like myself came up through the ranks as a pilot and reached the level of instructor pilot and became a senior instructor pilot and was probably the best stick and rudder man out there. And the guy that I always point to in that regard was Chuck Yeager, who broke the sound barrier in 1947. And he sits at the top of what they call the pyramid, and he's the most famous of the uh, fighter pilots. Chuck, theoretically, because he was the best pilot that there probably was in the 40s and 50s and maybe even 60s, uh, theoretically, he should have risen to the highest ranks. But he ended up getting promoted only as far as Brigadier General, and then he retired at that rank. And so you ask yourself, well, why didn't he go any further? 
And the reason was because he was a technical expert, but he wasn't necessarily a, a formally trained leader. Okay. He got his leadership uh, by osmosis, by experience. And uh, you, you learn different techniques when you're formally trained in leadership than you do if you're just allowed to go look for the, the, the knowledge yourself. Mm. Uh, so that, that would be an example in, in a, uh, in a uh, business environment. The classic example is uh, the uh, head of the engineering department retires and the CEO decides to make the new head of the engineering department, the guy who is the best engineer. And he is really technically competent, but he does know, not know how to manage people because he's never been trained. So, so Bill, Bill, that was me. That that was me. I, so I, I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't, I, I'm a, originally I'm a, a chartered civil engineer and, and I wouldn't say I was the best engineer and I wouldn't say I was the most technically competent engineer, but I had loads of determination and enthusiasm mm. uh, and, and get up and go. I was kind of unstoppable. And, mm -hmm. and and so I got promoted to a management role. Well, mm -hmm. I, I didn't know how to get the best out of people. I didn't yeah. know how to build a team. You know, I, I didn't know how to <laughs> to to lead a project. And so, uh, and so, I, I got into this management position, and I still had my enthusiasm, mm -hmm. my determination, and my unstoppability. And so, I got promoted mm -hmm. again and again. <laughs> and 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 I'm pretty. You know, even now, Bill, uh, I'm I'm still pretty reflective of what happens in in my industry, the construction industry. Mm -hmm. now, people people get to running massive projects, and 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 they've never been taught how to get the best out of people. They've never been taught how to build a team. They've never been taught formal leadership. Um, and so, you know, what 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 you said about, um, you know, the strongest technical person being pro promoted into management it, it doesn't always work and, and so oh. what i what i i'm trying to spread the message to mm -hmm. young construction professionals and indeed incumbent managers and leaders that mm -hmm. you get to a point and it's more about the people than it is about the concrete right uh, let me just give you a couple of observations about that uh one of my favorite philosophers in all the world was Winston Churchill. Right. And Churchill has so many quotations that are so relevant to interpersonal uh, relationships and management and think leadership and things like that. And one of the ones that, uh, that he said that really resonated with me was, Man will occasionally stumble over the truth, but usually he just picks himself up and continues on. And this is uh, a big pitfall for people who have uh, reached a higher level in the organization. They, the philosophy is, I'm going to dance with the one that brung me to the dance. And that means... I'm going to do the things that I have done successfully to get me to where I am now. Yeah. Well, okay. 
So if you came up as a leader all the way through, that might work. But if you're the newly appointed head of the engineering department because you were the best engineer out there, what are you going to end up doing? If you don't know what to do in order to get the best out of people and you feel like you should be doing something, you're going to wander around the engineering department looking over your subordinates' shoulders and saying, change this to that. Don't do it that way. Do this. In other words, you're going to be micromanaging your subordinates much to their disgust and to your disappointment because you won't get the most out of them. Yeah. But, but this Bill, is what one... you've dis- Bill, what you've described is, this is how it is. Yes. This is reality. <laughs> and this is why systems thinking is, is so critically important. <clears throat> Let me make a comment about the content of the systems management uh, program that I taught for. It was a master of science degree in systems management, and it was considered science rather than arts because it dealt with so many technical subjects as well as uh, the uh, softer subjects. Um, The program was developed by the University of Southern California in 1964 at the specific request of the four-star general who was in charge of the Air Force Systems Command. Air Force Systems Command was responsible for the development and deployment of all the new weapon systems coming online for the Air Force. And the newest of these and the most important one was the Minuteman Intercontinental Ballistic Missile System, of which the U.S. Air Force eventually bought a 1,000 missiles and put them in silos underground. And this was the primary deterrent to nuclear war with the Russians in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And the problem that they found was there was nobody in the running of that development program who knew how to get the most out of people because they were all technical engineers and they were called upon to operate with skill sets they didn't have. So General Shriver saw this and in a, a, an instant of clarity, he said, we need to get uh, our project managers and our program managers trained as leaders of people, not just technical specialists. And so he, because the University of Southern California was already providing master's level uh, education in aeronautical safety for the United States Air Force. He went to the USC and said, we would like for you to put together a a program that will train uh, and educate our, uh, our technical engineers to be effective project and program managers that will lead people as well as uh, work on the technical aspects of production and things. So the program ended up exposing these people to things like individual psychology, group psychology, uh, project management principles, uh, and various other things that, that touched on the human aspect as much as, or more than even, the technical. And so 
as I went through that program as a student in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, I realized, holy cow, uh, I never realized all of this stuff. I figured I, if I was the best navigator or the best pilot, uh, there's no way I wasn't going to be selected to be a squadron commander. To, but I realized very quickly, different skill set completely. Different and I'm set. setting myself up for failure if I even accept a promotion to a position that requires human leadership when I don't know very much about it. So this is this is why I consider it to be exceedingly important for people to be systems thinkers. Uh, in you, One of the things you may remember in my systems book, early on in one of the early chapters, there's a pie chart in there that was that I I basically lifted directly from Robert Bailey's textbook on ergonomics. And he basically said that a system is composed of three major slices of a pie. One third of it of the pie is uh, is the the hardware, the software, et cetera, et cetera, the technical aspects of it. The second part of it is what I refer to as the policy part, which is all of the rules and guidance that is given for how things will be done or not done. And the third of these segments of the pie is the human factors part. Right. In other words, it is the part that is the most important, but the least quantifiable. And that is, how do you get people to do what you need for them to do? Yeah. And so this is where I think the, the whole concept of systems management and systems thinking is really crucial because you lead people, but you manage things. Yeah. yeah, fabulous, Bill. I'm I'm, I'm mindful of time. We 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 got about five minutes. So okay, you, 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 honestly, Bill, I I could listen to you for a fortnight. <laughs> <laughs> so I've, I've just got to be a bit selective as to where we go because we could sure. we could we could open up instead of gently close. That's close fine. Down. So also in your book, Bill, there's a there's a there's there's a chapter on leadership which I found fascinating. Mm -hmm. So, um, Bill, what, what 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 can you do for me in in like three minutes on leadership? <laughs> not very much, <laughs> not very much, Dave. Uh, the only thing I can suggest is that, uh, uh, well, leadership. There have been a lot of people who have written a lot of things on leadership sure. in the last uh, in the last fifty or more years, and. Uh, one of the one of those who was the uh, uh, was really the uh, uh, the key person in that uh, was Warren Bennis. Warren Bennis at one point was the president of the University of Cincinnati yeah. in the U.S., but he retired from that position and moved out to California, and lo and behold got a uh, an endowed chair at the USC Marshall School of Business uh in uh, in because of his books on leadership and uh the problem is that uh so many of the people who are 
writing this from an academic perspective, uh, they don't exactly connect the concepts, the higher level concepts with where the rubber meets the road and how does this show up and where you're actually doing things. Uh, so I, I truly believe that uh, Bennis's stuff and the other people who have written on leadership is very important. But for my personal way of thinking, the most important uh, author on that includes leadership, although that wasn't his primary focus, was a guy named John Boyd. And John Boyd created a concept of maneuver warfare theory that uh, basically has come to replace the whole massed formation concepts that that held sway for hundreds of years yeah. from back in the 17th century all the way up through World War II and Korea and even Vietnam. And basically, he he appreciated the value of leadership. And he wrote about how this works at the operating level. So I personally believe if you're up for it, that we could do another podcast entirely on John Boyd and his maneuver warfare philosophy. And there would be a, a valuable amount of, there'd be a treasure trove of information in there. We're, we're going to do that, Bill. Okay. So, Bill, Bill you, you, you said something right at the start. When you move from in front of the uh, in front of the lectern as a student to behind yeah. the lectern as professor, you had to have more than one question depth of, in yes. the material. So, one of the things I get with with you, Bill, is there's there's way more than one question depth <laughs> in the material here, <laughs> and, and, and I would recommend sincerely. Any listener who wants to explore systems thinking and 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 management and leadership, because you, you, there's a, there's a great chapter on on John Boyd and and um, uh, what was it maneuver, maneuver maneuver yeah two 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 chapters on Boyd one is uh, Boyd's maneuver warfare philosophy yeah. and the other was on the OODA loop. Yeah, O O D A stands for observe, orient, decide, and act, and that is the most crucial tool in his whole philosophy. Uh, and it's it's much more complicated than it looks. I won't say complicated. I will say there is much more depth to it than it appears just by looking at his diagram. So, 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 Bill, we're going to do this other podcast. We're going to do it. <laughs> In the great. meantime, I, I, I would, I would strongly suggest to listeners who have enjoyed our conversation to pick up a copy of your Systems Thinking, thank you, another Dangerous Habits book, and and have a and have a good read through of that. It's it's I found it wonderful, and it's really opened up my mm. eyes. And and what one of the other things, Bill, and we haven't got time to talk about this. But one of the other things that opened up for me was the the Kinevin model, which is really interesting. Yes, uh, it is. The, the work of Dave Snowden, Wel Welshman. Uh, I would strongly recommend people just do a bit of googling around that as well. So, 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 look, Bill, we've got we've got a couple of minutes. Um, so, a lot of my listeners are young young professionals who are getting they've 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 got their 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 first degree and now they're becoming technically qualified uh and 
all of the, lots of their thinking is around the technicalities of civil engineering or, or, or construction. I'm trying to, at a very early stage, open up their minds to the whole people thing. You know, to start thinking about, you know, the people around them because you you only mm -hmm. get things done, no matter how technically gifted you are, you yeah. only get things done through people. That's and true. so if you could give just one little bit of advice to close on to, to 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 this generation, these people, that would help me help them open up their minds and start thinking about people as well as technical. What would you say in this last moment or two? Well, I mentioned this in the book, in the area, uh, in the chapter on uh, group psychology and individual psychology. The, uh, the relationship between people, whether it's leaders to subordinate, leaders to other leaders, or subordinate to subordinate, uh, is really a psychological relationship. And it's very heavily dependent on someone's personality. There is a nice structure that act actually encapsulates 16 different personality types, and it's called the Myers-Briggs type indicator. The value to this is that once you understand these 16 characteristics, uh, and they're very easy to read and absorb and understand, uh, you now look at the people you're working with uh, a little deeper than just what you're seeing and hearing, and you start trying to determine based on their, their psychological personality profile, uh, what are the what are the buttons that'll ring their bells right. and and what are the uh, the overtures that they will most readily respond to? Mm. And this can save an awful lot of friction and, uh, and contention and so forth. If you understand what people, it, what is important to people, then you'll be able to... Uh, You'll be able to choose the right manage, uh, leadership course. And I believe that the Myers-Briggs type indicator is a really valuable tool for that. And the, the Bible for that is a book by Otto Kroger called Type Talk. T-Y-P-E-T-A-L-K. Brilliant. And, and it's an easy read. It's fun. And boy, you'll see yourself in it. Fantastic. Today I've been talking to Bill Detmeyer, author of Systems Thinking and Other Dangerous Habits. What a great title that is. And the author of several other great books. It's been talking, great talking with you today, Bill. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you, Dave. It's been a pleasure uh, just conversing with you. Right. And I look forward to doing it again sometime. Fantastic. Thanks, Bill. Today we've been talking about coaching conversations. I hope you've enjoyed listening and you are taking away something that you can use to make things better for you and those in your team or around you. To find out more, or even better, learn the essentials of a coaching style of management, check out Coach for Results book and course on our website dsabuilding.co.uk 
or simply click the link below. This is Dave Stitt and you've been listening to Coaching Conversations.